Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Ike to Gone. What's up, everybody? Another Octagon coming your mother way, mother loving way, because you should love your mothers, your fathers, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your abuelos, your grandpas, your grandfathers, your abbas, that's a father, your, uh, what is it, imas, your grandmothers, your abuelas, just love everybody, your babas, love everybody, your Family, love, and way. And Iktagon is here. My apologies to the hardcore MMA fans that follow me and did not get one ounce of MMA talk in the last episode. I had to review Michael Jordan's The Last Dance documentary. My apologies, not really. Michael Jordan transcends sports. He is a step above Tom Brady. If you don't know Tom Brady, just stop. He's a step above Wayne Gretzky. I don't watch hockey. I know who Wayne Gretzky is. He's multiple steps above Tiger Woods. Everybody knows these athletes. Baseball, I guess it would be Babe Ruth or Albert Pujols or Barry Bonds. Baseball is a game of shadows. Not really anybody knows who's the uh, the transcending athlete in baseball. But... Yeah, Michael Jordan. They put out the Last Dance documentary, and it was absolutely incredible, captivating, motivating. Just the moxie and swagger he has at his age. I assume he's in his 50s, if the math is correct. And just to get to hear the man himself was amazing. Whatever he was going to say, it was just gravy. But for the director to get him to sit down for four to six hours and just recap, review, intricate stories and details about his fascinating and astonishing career as a competitor and NBA champion and all the chronicles and headlines that have followed him were just fascinating. It was an awesome documentary. I believe it's coming to Netflix soon, but if you have an ESPN membership, whether that's through your cable provider or an ESPN Plus membership, I suggest you see it no i'm not getting paid by espn i don't work for espn yet but the 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 documentary is incredible and what i got out of it was just the motivation heck i i think michael jordan could run for uh political office if he wanted to you know he has a lot cleaner background than the man at the helm of the united states now he's uh, champion. He's a very successful entrepreneur and businessman, obviously, not only with the Jordans, but as a uh, the fact that he could take on owning a franchise in the Charlotte Hornets in his home state is just incredible. And he doesn't give you much. And that's what I love. He, he's stoic when he speaks. When he does get in front of a camera, you need to listen because his words mean something. And that, that's what I try to do with the Iktagon. I don't try to do so much fluff. I like to have fun. But when I grill the camera and when I really try to push my words or feelings about a certain event, a fighter or a headline or a topic, it's like I want my words to mean something. And Michael Jordan drilled that home. In 2015 and 2016, to make an MMA connection, I was hanging on every single word that Conor McGregor was saying in press conferences and sit-down interviews on radio spots, uh, anything I could just get a hold of. It was just McGregor in 2015 and 16 was just the peak of being mentally in tune 
with his body and his spirit. It was just beautiful. Obviously, after 2016, we all know what happened. He got the Floyd fight and he turned into Money McGregor and the rest is history. So I think McGregor kind of lost his way in terms of being a true martial artist and a true spokesperson of just being a better version of yourself. So when I see something like the Last Dance documentary with Michael Jordan, I attracted that stuff, man. That motivational speak, the Tom Brady Six. It's a ESPN documentary where they talk about the six quarterbacks that went before him before he was selected the 199th pick in the 2000 NFL draft. And then he went on to win six Super Bowls. Just that motivating stuff gets me going. After I watched the Michael Jordan, The Last Dance, the first two episodes, the next day, the next day, I got up and went for uh, a couple miles run. And it's just, if if it doesn't get you going, if it doesn't want you to be a better competitor, a better winner, a better teammate, then there's something wrong with you. Because Michael Jordan, he's not only a great sports leader, he's just a great people leader. I could just see him in a boardroom. I could just see him over a webinar or something. And it's just his words, he means something. And you're not going to fool, you're not going to throw smoke and mirrors and try to be swift with somebody like Michael Jordan. He will trust you, but he will immediately have his eyes locked on you like a hunter, like a predator. And he will know if you're going to work as hard as him or he knows if you're going to slack and he's going to have to push you or if he's going to have to go separate ways from you. And I really appreciate stuff like that. The, the leadership aspect that I got out of The Last Dance. How him and Phil Jackson were able to balance the egos and relationships between the team. But understand the true goal which was winning at the highest level, sports level ever. And nothing could shake that. They could be mad at each other. They could scream at each other. Somebody could have an off night, somebody could misspeak, somebody could be a little aggravated, frustrated, or angry, but at the end of the day, the goal was the same, to win. And to equate this to a family, what would the goal be? To be happy, to work together, to not lie, steal, or cheat from another family member. And obviously it should go bigger than just family, it should be friends and then co-workers, colleagues, but... If you're not being the best person or best version of yourself to your family, you need to check yourself because, first of all, if you're being the best version of yourself to people outside of your family, that's awful and that's a bad way to live your life because you're not going to be happy. How can you trust yourself if you can't grow a full, healthy, flourishing relationship with family members who have seen you at your most vulnerable stages, in your childhood, in your adolescence, there's absolutely something wrong with you. But what I'm saying is start with your family. Work with each other. Listen to each other. Help each other. Play with each other. The rest can just flow from there. But Michael Jordan, amazing athlete, amazing speaker, amazing leader, amazing competitor. I he's a young man. He's a young man. He's in his 50s. He's accomplished a lot already obviously, but I think if he wants to do something, he sets his mind, he sets his mind. He only has one mind. It'd be I wouldn't be surprised if he had multiple minds, but if he sets his mind to it, he can do anything. So, I kid, I uh, tongue in cheek, I speak out of the side of my mouth when I say Michael Jordan could run for a political position in office, but am I kidding? I mean, I think Michael Jordan would be not coming into the office not only because he has better credentials than the man who's uh, in office, but he he's a way more respectable person than the man that's at the helm of this country. So, moving on. Some actual fights to talk about. No more quarantine updates. No more simple interviews. 
down to the nitty gritty. UFC Fight Night 171 happened. Again in Jacksonville, the UFC Jax 3 card unfolded. And what's the controversy this time? The judging. You know, we got the stoppage with Dominic Cruz. UFC 249 over a week ago. We had the whole spectacle that was no fans. That's UFC 249. The event was incredible. That's never questioned. The Wednesday, the May 13th card with Anthony Smith. We saw Jason Herzog being called to the fire. Fans, MMA fans and MMA media did not agree with how Jason Herzog conducted the main event fight between Anthony Smith and Glover Teixeira. Refn was the, the biggest topic of uh, conversation following the May 13th card. But, so we got credible fights, a weird stoppage a week ago, over a week ago for UFC 249. This past Wednesday, we have uh, referee being called into question. Now whose turn is to bring controversy to themselves? The judges! Hey, welcome back. MMA's together. Everything's normal. Poor refing. Uh, no fans, which is weird. And bad judging. Wow, we are back. We are back to normalcy, I guess, in the, the world of the UFC. But holy goodness, what the F happened on that card? Man, did Darren Elkins, Marlon Vera, Ebson Barbosa, Angela Hill, man, did they get screwed or what? Unbelievably bad judging on that part. And you hear Dana White say it all the time, don't leave it up to the judges for this reason. Now, you may not get your win bonus, who knows if Dana White and the UFC brass, Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby, the guys who put the fights and matchups together, if they can look past the bad judging and say, you know what, Angela Hill, Barboza, Marlon Vera, and Darren Elkins put on a hell of a performance, and they barely lost, like barely lost. I hope the judges, excuse me, the UFC brass can look past the poor judging, but will they? You can only hope. You can only hope. Because if I'm the UFC brass, I'm paying attention to that. And I'm making sure that Angela Hill is getting her win bonus. And Edson Barbosa is getting a win bonus. And Marlon Vera and Darren Elkins. Because that was poor judging. The fight could have gone either way. Don't tell me that. Oh, don't leave it to the judges. Yeah, that's a good incentive-based type of motto. And it's motivating. But not everybody has finishing power. Take, for example, Angela Hill. The fact that she even knocked down Claudia Godella to the... Godella. It's it's a Brazilian little... Sh the fact that she even knocked down Godella. No, no, I've said it three different times. The fact that she even knocked it down was incredible. And now you're asking her to finish her and don't leave it to the judges? That's unfair. All Claudia did was just swarm her, take her down, and control her for the first round. No doubt she won the first round. But the second and third, Angela Hill, no doubt, like I said, knocked her down in the second round and probably picked her apart and squeaked by a decision. I don't know why the judges saw it going towards Godelia. Uh, it just maybe they thought it was a 10 8 in the first round, but Angela Hill did way more damage, was way more active, way more aggressive, and she deserves to be in that spot that. Claudia Godelia is in, and that's the sixth overall spot in the UFC strawweight division. So that was very questionable, at minimum questionable. Maximum, it's it's Hill's win. I hope she gets paid. I hope they get compensated. But it's sad. The judging was awful. The judging was absolutely awful. So. And to come on this episode to talk about this is my friends and MMA experts, James Corrigan at Real Corrigan and Brian Fonseca at Brian Fonseca NY, both on Twitter. They're great follows, fun guys, cool guys, smart, well-spoken. You'll hear them in a couple minutes, but it was just bad. It was just bad. One of the topics that we're talking about in the, the pre 
the green room of Zoom was, do you like these midweek fights? And I do. I do. I really do. I, uh, I don't know if the UFC will do a Wednesday, a Thursday type of important UFC card. We know that PFL is on Thursday. We know that Dana White's Tuesday night contender series obviously is on Tuesday nights. And the UFCs are typically on Saturdays, sometimes on a Friday, sometimes on a Sunday. But I don't think the the formula is going to change for UFC scheduling. I think once everything's back to normal, PFL on a Thursday, Dana White Contender Series on a Tuesday, and Bellator on a Friday, and UFC on a Saturday, and one championship on an early Sunday morning, I think that's plenty of fill for MMA fans to get. So, what's next? What's next? Um, yeah, Edson Barbosa cut down to 145. His whole career has been at 155 against Dan Ige. Ige is a hell of a boxer, striker, tough guy, great technique, great footwork, great cardio, great pace. But Edson Barbosa, like I said earlier, should have won that fight. He did more damage. He had a full-on knockdown in the first round and a debatable knockdown in the second round when he punched Ige in the, the liver or the midsection. Did Ige fall as a strategy because he needed to buy some time or did the shot actually send him there? No matter what, it did damage. And we're, I'm talking about the guy who, who won the fight who, uh, who was falling to the floor multiple times and maybe Barbosa didn't finish when he could have. Maybe he didn't pace himself right. Maybe he was worried about the weight cut. Maybe he was diminished when it got to the fight. Ton of factors. But on the night of the fight, Epson Barbosa did a lot more damage. Now, it's funny that this week encompassed all of MMA with judging, refereeing, and... Uh, uh, amazing fights, amazing decisions, amazing knockouts, submissions, grappling, everything that MMA is we saw in the past three cards. And the coolest thing was a former co-worker, he was logging in to Twitter. This is at the snide, I believe. I don't know if there's an underscore in there. People with underscores, just stop. Stop. If it's in the middle of your name, like Ike underscore CBS, that's fine. But at the end or the beginning, it's tough. I mean, you, you can't blame people for missing it when they're, they're trying to find you. But Greg Snyder, who is a former colleague of mine, tuned in to the MMA fights because what the heck else is there to watch? And he tagged me on Twitter and was very curious about my thoughts about the card. And he just wanted to be part of the, the MMA community and the party. Who knows if it's just for one event or one week or one month. Wait till he gets to a pay-per-view card. Wait till sports come back as normal. Who knows how long he's going to stick around. But I wanted to make sure I gave a more than decent effort to try to sway him why MMA sport is the sport of the present and the future. And I'm going to put together an MMA for dummies type of segment or Iktagon show, maybe when things get a little dry, maybe I'll work on it piece by piece. And obviously I'm not calling Greg or anybody who doesn't know MMA a dummy. You guys all know those books with the, uh, the I don't know, Max for Dummies or AOL Aim for Dummies. It's just a learning guide. But I think to play off that premise, I'm going to try to educate some of the super, super casual fans about the sport that I hold near and dear to my heart. And... Man, this whole thought process was flowing through my mind when I saw the poor judging. I see the poor refereeing and I see the amazing fights. So I don't want to just make this a book for dummies like, hey, expect uh, everything to be pessimistic and look at things glass half empty. No, no, no. I'm going to guide them what to expect with judges, referees, corners, maybe some excuses that fighters or coaches might make at the end of the fight but I'm also going to prompt up the sport and tell him what he can look forward to with grappling when a Khabib steps in there that dude you are watching the best 
I'm talking to you, Greg, that you, you are watching the best grappler in the history of the UFC. Yeah, sorry, George St. Pierre. Sorry, Hoist Gracie. Sorry, Brian Ortega, any Gracie. I'm, I'm sorry. Khabib is the most not only dominant fighter, he's lost one round in his UFC career. One freaking round to Conor McGregor, who's a top 10 UFC fighter of all time. And he's just simply dominated everybody. He's undefeated. Nobody's undefeated. We just saw Tony Ferguson lose to Justin Gaethje after being undefeated for eight years. Not his entire career. He was undefeated for eight years. Khabib's been undefeated his entire career and now has the longest winning streak in the UFC. And uh, just break down what he could see, what he should be accustomed to, whether it's a striking match, if it seems boring in the first couple of minutes. You may have to just wait for the fighters to download their opponent's footwork. And once you can understand that, it will be easier to digest the sport and not just check your phone. As soon as you see two people circling for maybe 90 seconds, people check their phone. I, I see it all the time, whether I'm at the bar, whether I'm watching locally. Uh, if there's a, Of course, if the match hits the floor, people are automatically checking their phone. But if there's a circling, like an Anderson Silva, Vitor Belfort fight where they're just feeling out each other's distance, that's what I'm saying you should watch the most because that's that's a that's a that's a gun duel. That's a, a pistol duel, whatever. That's when somebody's gonna get knocked out. That's when something crazy is about to happen. So I'm gonna do a segment, MMA for dummies, and uh I think the artwork, you could just picture those yellow, black, white book looking type of thing. So I think it will be a cool segment. And uh, that's that. My last thing before we get to James and Brian, though. In the main event of this past weekend, we saw Walt Harris, who did not fight Alistair Overeem on the December 7th card in Washington, D.C. Instead, was Alistair Overeem versus... Jarzinho Rosenstruck and that fight was fun ended in the fifth round I think last 10 seconds Alistair Overeem was winning the fight the whole fight 24 minutes and 50 seconds and then Jarzinho Rosenstruck coming there with a heavy looping right hook and the rest is history and we both see and we see what happened to both fighters in their next fight Jarzinho was just knocked out by Francis Ngannou over a week ago on UFC 249, one of the craziest knockouts, and even more bone-chilling the fact that there was no crowd to see it. And then we saw Alistair Overeem just bounce back this past Saturday against Walt Harris in a rescheduled match. And Walt Harris is obviously has a heavy heart, and he's dealing with the loss of his daughter, Anaya. And she went missing in... Uh, I believe it's November or December, or right before the fight, and he didn't fight for obvious reasons, and uh, it's just awful. It's disgusting what some humans will do, but Walt Harris returned to his job. He put his hard hat on, and he did what he loves to do, compete, fight, and try to win, and unfortunately... The fight didn't go his way, and Alistair Overeem proves why he's one of the best heavyweights of all time. Kickboxing, grappling, Alistair's got it all, and he's always reinventing himself physically, mentally, spiritually. And uh, it was sad to see Walt because the, the whole world was rooting for him. But with Alistair, he's... Like I said, reinvented himself over and over. He looked phenomenal. He got rocked early in that fight, and it was questionable why the fight was continuing, but he shows what happens if you let a fight go and let a fighter be a warrior. To quote Mario Yamasaki, you see what can happen. And Alistair Overeem proved, like I said, that he's one of the best heavyweights of all time by not only dealing with and absorbing the best shot that Walt Harris had to throw at him, but Alistair bounced back in the next round with a beautiful head kick that led to the finishing combination and for him to achieve the technical knockout by punches. But over him, man, can't wait to see what's next for him. Being the great competitor that he is, he welcomed Walt Harris to come to 
his gym and uh, train with him. Overeem is being very genuine when he does that too because he lost viciously to Curtis Blades, who's now his teammate. Curtis Blades, who's one of the best wrestlers at the heavyweight division, ripped Alistair Overeem to the ground and then threw the guard of Alistair Overeem, which is a John Jones type of move, was elbowing through the guard. Oh my goodness. It was about three, four, five, maybe six elbows and just splitting open Alistair Overeem's head. And turns out that Overeem said, oh wow, this kid, uh, he made, he ragdolled me. He made me look bad. Maybe I should go train with him. And now they're training partners. And in a recent interview with Ara Hawani, Alistair Overeem admitted that it's the best sparring partner he's ever had. And it shows that he can swallow his ego and swallow his pride and just be be a great competitor because you can't be a great competitor if you're not willing to get better and make obvious adjustments. So Alistair Overeem is one of the best at self-correcting. And I truly believe that he's being genuine when he's inviting Walt Harris to go train with him. Walt Harris trains now with a fighter who I just spoke to in Eric Anders, so they train in Alabama, SBG Alabama, but I wouldn't be surprised if Walt Harris takes a trip or two out to lovely and beautiful Denver, Colorado, where all these warriors train. Denver is one of the hot spots. It's not only the place where the UFC was founded and started, UFC 1 back in November 10th, 1993, but it's also the, the hotbed for fighters. There's so many gyms out there, and I don't know if, if I haven't spoke about this enough, but you guys could see some interviews I did while I was out there. Denver is just a gorgeous city, great people, some of them. And uh, it, it was just an absolute blast to be out there. So excited to see what's next for both fighters at the main event. But the theme of the card was poor judging. And again, I hope UFC management, UFC brass, Dana White, Sean Shelby, Mick Maynard, Hunter Campbell, I hope they can all see past the poor judging and that these guys were putting their hearts on the line and being elite athletes regardless of how much they're paid compared to other sports. I just hope the UFC can see that, and I believe they will. I believe they will. So, coming up next, James Corrigan and Brian Fonseca. What's up, everybody? Another Iktagon. I'm sorry I kind of drifted off track in the last episode talking about the last dance. You have to forgive me. I talked about probably one of the, probably the greatest athlete of all time in Michael Jordan. Had to review it with my boys, David and Sam. But we are back to the fight game, back to the MMA train, maybe some boxing at the end of this. But I'm joined by my friends, colleagues. They do many stuff outside of fights, MMA, and boxing. But we connect and cross circles like a Venn diagram through the MMA world. James Corrigan, at Real Corrigan on Twitter. Brian Fonseca, at Brian Fonseca NY on Twitter. Boys, how you doing? I'm happy. No blips on your Twitter handle readings. How's everybody doing? James, I know you look like you haven't been outside in four months. Oh, gosh. What's the update, boys? <laughs> well, I'm hoping uh, no little kids are watching this show today. I might... Uh... Scare him off of uh, watching the Octagon show for life, but uh, I'm good. It's great to see you again, Mike. It's been a while. You can call me Mike if you want, man. It's been that long. I'm going to call you Jim then. I'm going to call you Jim. <laughs> so we got Jim, Mike, and Ryan. <laughs> oh, what's up with you, Brian, man? How's it going? Just staying busy uh, in the quarantine, you know what I mean? I was working from home a lot of the times anyways, so in terms of <laughs> in terms of the workflow, it you know, it's a bit of a disruption because obviously you can't go to certain places and go to certain events. Like, I would normally run into you at, like, media day, you know, during fight week and stuff like that. Yeah, and we don't, we don't know when that's going to happen again yet, uh, but, you know, I'm optimistic that it will happen at some point and, you know, we'll, we'll get past this at some point. But right now, just staying safe and doing all the things I need to do and making sure the people around me are doing what they need to do. Cool, cool. We obviously know uh, uh, James, what he's doing, or a.k.a. Jim's doing, but uh, and I like it, what he's going on with the headset. He's got his cool headset. I'm still wired. I'm old school, but Brian, is that a gaming head headset? Yes, it is. Oh. Yes, it is. <laughs> Dude, I got to show I this to my wife. 
<laughs> these things this is what i use for for everything i'm doing now i was uh i was announcing a madden tournament last week <laughs> on a twitch stream it was wow. a, it was a madden tournament played by navy seals they were playing in a madden tournament or whatever right <laughs> and they were like all right so what do you use to record i was like i got HyperX, you know industry standard video games we out here so they was like all right cool you're good <laughs> amazing amazing and what about you james is that like oh, your i got exercise? the state of the, i got the uh the state of the art i got the beats uh i forget what exactly what it's called it's the Does dr uh, dre still own those or the power Probably. beats uh well he sold it to apple for apple okay a billion okay. dollars oh yeah that's but, right that's right speaking of billionaires what, did you guys get to see the last dance with michael oh Jordan? yes oh yeah all, t- all 10 episodes dude the guys that mm-hmm. like okay what, what i was live what, tweeting <laughs> I mean, yeah, I saw those. I saw those. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I, I was. Li- I've been live tweeting UFC more and more often. I, I feel like this presents that opportunity. But what were you guys' takeaway with Jordan? Oh, it's the best sports documentary, perhaps of all time. Uh, Michael Jordan, fascinating on every level, and it's not just him. You know, the cast of characters, even the last uh, episode. Well, the second to last episode, technically, with Steve Kerr. You know, you come into there. You come in there. A lot of the younger people coming in there, of course, knowing Steve Kerr as the three-time champion coach. And did he win three? No. Well, yeah, with Golden State, they won three. I thought it was two. Oh my gosh! That, yeah, they that, won three. You they forget won two the with first Durant. one. Yeah, they won with the Curry one, yeah. in fifteen. Yeah. Okay, so but just just yeah, so fascinating on all fronts. I think a lot of people attracted to the uh, the worm episode, man. I didn't know he dated Car- or married Carmen Electra, dated oh, yeah. Madonna. I heard uh, maybe he was with Cindy Crawford. I was like, damn. Uh, I was like, he's he not weird. He's, he's just his own sure. style. And you can yeah. fill a warehouse with the people who he's had relations with. <laughs> yeah, the, the documentary on him, 30 for 30, they put out, I think it was last year. That's actually pretty interesting, too, when it gets into more of that more of the Robin stuff. But yeah, no, Last Dance was great. I think that, you know, I'm glad Jordan has a definitive piece and I'm glad that he obviously okayed, you know, uh, the, the process of this. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened. So I'm hoping that we can get a definitive piece on someone like a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who a lot of people, like, this is before my time. And I think that people of my generation should understand, like, how good some of those guys were, like, before we were around. Because Jordan, we know about. And even though I was born in 94, so I call it, like, you know, bits and pieces of it. And then over the years, you go back and watch stuff because YouTube, you know, came to fruition in 2005 and they got damn near everything at this point. It's harder to find some of the Kareem and Will Chamberlain and Oscar Robertson stuff. So we need documentaries on those. You know, it was interesting because there was a question on Twitter after the last dance ended, uh, which athlete would you like to see a series of this nature? That's a good question. The consensus on Twitter, at least, was Tiger Woods. Yeah. I guess, wow. though... I, I was the only Ali, one that had my answer. I'll say that much, but I'll save it for when you're finished. Well, Muhammad Ali, uh, there's been so many on him already. You know, the there What's was My HBO Name one, just came the up. Yep, yep. The HBO one recently. Yeah. The Rumble in the, Rumble in the Jungle. Um, there was one. There was a Thriller in the Manila one. Uh, but even with all that... And there was a feature film on him as well, starring Will Smith back in uh, 2001. But... If there were ever someone that could match, you know, just all the peaks and valleys, all the the moments, the great moments, the cultural significance, it would have to be Ali. I think he is the obvious choice, but there's been so much on him already that, you know, what new thing could be said? Um, give me Bruce Lee, man. When I saw June 7th, they moved oh, up yeah, the, that's the coming. Be Like Water. I'm like, sold, man. On the Iktagon.com website, I got a Bruce Lee quote. I'm like, give me some sh- stuff I haven't seen yet of Bruce Lee. Like that quotes, that's what I attracted to, man. For Conor McGregor, the 2015-2016, the 17 version against Floyd, it started to fall off. Uh, Money McGregor started to happen. But the yeah. early years, man, the quotes and everything, like I attracted to that again, it, not so much now, but the Jordan documentary, I'm like, he's passionate. That episode where he's like break time out, where he's about to cry and he cuts because he's like, people don't like winning my style of winning. They can leave. And I was like, this is inspiring, man. The next day I woke up, went for a jog. Like, yeah, I, I need more of that stuff. <laughs> McGregor for me has lost it. Yeah, and I think I think that um, we're not going to get a documentary on the person that I want to see a long docu series on, but Vince McMahon. 
I don't think we're gonna get oh it, but I want to see one of Vince McMahon. Just, just, just all, just give me all the Vince McMahon stuff, like the hiding steroids in the '90s, the going at it with this dude and slapping the reporter, and just the Larry King stuff. Every, just all of it. Every more, every week, there's something on Vince McMahon. You could do one. You know, you got Owen Hart. You've got that's coming Montreal. out tonight. Well, yeah. Is this the right. dark the side of the ring? Of the, dark uh, side of the ring, Dark side yo. of the ring finale. Also. That's another it's, excellent it's series. so good. So good. But you can go. You can go every which way. But you think Michael Jordan was uh, put a lid on some of this stuff with Vince McMahon. <laughs> I mean, there's just no chance that, like, as as he as his song uh, says, there's, <laughs> there's no chance in hell. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Man. Yeah. We're not going to – well – we're probably not when he's alive. We're probably not going to. So. <laughs> he Mor- won't let it morbid happen. Morbid but true. Morbid but true. Yeah. <laughs> oh Although the gosh. last ride documentary on the WWE Network. I need to see it. Don't spoil it. That's, well, no spoiler. Well, spoiler alert. The Undertaker's old. But, uh, <laughs> well. <laughs> but there are, there is some good, uh, there are some very, very good human moments that, uh, of Vince McMahon in, that show that uh, you would not normally see. I, I just heard him it. on with the uh, Hawani man. I, this is gonna sound ignorant of me, but I didn't know how well spoken the Undertaker was. Like that's yeah. that's the thing, you know. You you see him walk around for twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven years as I know him just well, for as a, gift. a zombie. What, what's the gift? You know, he's there's, <laughs> there's so many. I mean, he he talks as oh, he talks like this. You know, like, yeah, but yeah, he's a real, he's a real life guy. And that's something that a lot of people, you know, have been taken aback by. He's been sort of in the spotlight more in recent years, but this, this completely pulls back the curtain. It's sober, really man. Good. Like uh, they are humans, man. Even though their personas are bigger than life, they're on the road 300 days. Like he's talking yeah. about his injuries, his hips, his knees. Like it's really breaking down his body. He's doing like like almost Alistair Overeem uh, exercises to keep his body going. And I was like, wow, it's like, I like to hear more of that. I mean, I understand it pulls the curtain or breaks KFAB. I just learned what that means, but it's like. KFAB, yeah. KFAB, K- oh, isn't that the, yeah, I keep think, saying the person that Britney Spears dated. Like, <laughs> Oh, wow, KFAB. Yes. <laughs> Who was also in the WWE for a brief period of time. No. Oh, God, <laughs> awful. Oh, oh yeah, cool. the, it's full the, Umaga, the Umaga angle in 2006 or 7 yeah, or whatever Cena. it was. Yeah, it was bad. Oh, my gosh. But uh, anyway. <laughs> he got fat right after that. Let's move into the uh, the <laughs> MMA world and transition. And Ariel Hawani's been, uh, been stuck on this point about he really likes it better. I played a quote on uh, the Ike the Gun a couple episodes ago that he prefers the fans uh for the nuances the hearing the no booing if it's a boring grappling match aka maybe maybe the bryce mitchell match for some people but for you guys do you agree with hawani or do you disagree wow uh well selfishly as someone who likes to attend fights i would prefer (laughs) there be fans in the venue but there is something to be said you know there is a lot of things you catch and it's so interesting what the announcers with John Anik and then later Brandon Fitzgerald and the, the crew had to do was that they, especially between rounds, they had to keep their voice down. They didn't want fighters hearing what they had to say. And like, oh some, man, he's really screwed. It's like, thanks bro. <laughs> and in some cases, and in some cases, uh, Anthony Smith, they were doing a hell of a lot better job than their corners were doing. What, what's your takeaway, Brian? You yeah, like I, it or not? I kind of treat it like I'm watching Tough or Dana White's Contender Series where there's, you know, not a lot of people there except for sort of the essential people, which is what you have here. So for me, it wasn't that foreign. And yeah, I kind of like it without fans in a weird way. Like I kind of like the way it looks and sounds, but I like it in the short term. I think after a while, it's going to be like, yeah, like when we get to maybe the fall, it's going to be like, yeah, I kind of want to see people back in here, you know, when it's safe to do so. And when we get the, the real stuff taken care of, then it then, yeah, you would want 
you don't want Conor McGregor and Jorge Masvidal, if that were to happen, for example, to happen in an empty arena instead of having 20,000 screaming fans, half of them with Irish flags and half of them with Cuban flags, maybe. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that you're going to you want to miss out on that sort of, uh, you know, what that could be at some point. You know, I, I think that I think that with fans, it'll obviously be a better spectacle and and things of that nature. But. You know, there's pros and cons to, to having it without fans, sort of like what James said. You can catch more stuff, just simply catch more stuff, and then the announcers obviously have to adjust. Like, it's a cool thing to sort of navigate through, at least for now in the moment while we have to. Well, Brian, you pick up a great point, is that MMA fans are, in some ways, they're used to seeing empty arena fights with Tough and with the Contender Series. You know, True. we were talking about professional wrestling a moment ago. I'll make the comparison a little bit, to what's been going on with WWE and AEW in empty mm. arenas. And it's just, it's jarring to see that. We're just not used to it. With MMA, it's something that we've seen and it's something uh, that we're, we've been okay with leading up to this point. So I think that affects some uh, perceptions. Daniel Cormier, who obviously does the show with Aaron Hawani on ESPN MMA, he makes a fantastic point, not about the fans being there and not being, but strategically trevor whitman when he's in the corner i'm sure you guys saw the the video or the the footage by now and he's like justin all right you're here you're in the fight calm down buddy we went through one or two rounds i need you to take this percentage off your punches i need you to focus relax cormier says if this is like a chaotic atmosphere that maybe gaethje doesn't listen to his coach he's looking over the shoulder waiting for tony ferguson to get up those punches that are winging because you you guys know the people in the top deck they don't necessarily know if something lands or not they know if somebody's swinging and the reaction of a fighter covering up so maybe gaethje's that like college type of football mentality that it's all momentum and if he swings with the oohs and the ahs he might get carried away maybe he's more exhausted and uh, loses more energy so in that sense strategically Cormier saying no fans helped Justin Gaethje because he was mm. able to be more in control and I was like wow I go that that kind of dictated what, do you guys have any thoughts on that yeah you know you bring up a great point because I feel like especially Cormier, a fighter Cormier brings up a great point well yeah yeah Daniel Cormier brings up a great point you added he to that a great thing point <laughs> But 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 with Justin Gaethje, like he's the type of dude you would figure, yes, he would feed off the crowd because we've seen him do it before. And you know, when he's a fighter that if he lands specifically him, then the crowd's gonna go crazy. And the way he was beating up Tony Ferguson in that main event, the crowd imagine a crowd watching that fight. I think Dana White actually said that in a press conference after the fact. He said like, imagine you know, having a crowd out there for this fight in particular. Now, if you do, does it go a different way? Does he try to go in for the kill in round two and then Tony Ferguson counters at some point the way we know Tony Ferguson could and the way we thought that he may still have as the fight continued until it didn't? Like maybe not having the crowd sort of settled Justin Gaethje down calmed him a little bit and instead of putting 100% on some of these punches as you said he would put a, he would put 80 you know what I mean and maybe that determines this whole strategy from there on out so that's an interesting point I think that crowd reactions because some of the judges and we know the judging is wishy-washy which I'm sure we're going to get to but like the crowd could sway the judges very easily especially if they're not MMA judges that's a great point too I haven't heard that and especially with a fighter like Justin Gaethje who is just constantly going forward we've seen fights where he's just 110 percent all the time you know fighters like to say that they have tunnel vision fighters like to say that when they're in the cage they're you know locked in they're in the zone they're not aware of what's going on around them but you know it's it's impossible to ignore when you've got a sold out crowd that's going crazy it's something you do and for a fighter like Ichi I thought that was the smartest fight that he's that I've ever seen him fight. 100%. He was picking his spots. You know, he was fighting a lot differently and a lot more wisely than he has, you know, at times normally done, even though he's picked up uh, plenty of victories in in his career. So especially for a guy like Gaethje, uh, that worked out perfectly in his favor. Although, you know, for others, it could have been a gift and a curse. 100% agree with both of you guys' points. And it, I, I don't know what this has to do with it. I always try to like pick up 
study behavior of fighters. I think like mental aspect of fighting is like the craziest thing. Rashad Evans has this quote, training camp is 90% uh, physical and fight week is 90% mental. Like it's just the, the visualization. You hear that from Conor McGregor and whatnot. But Justin Gaethje, for the first time, didn't jump on the fence or do the backflip or attempt to do the backflip. And was that because he fully exhausted himself in the fight? Did he fight more wise, as James says? And probably so. So say fast forward three, four, five months, whenever Khabib could fight August, September, October, fans come back. Hopefully we, we pray to whatever you pray to. And this happens, everything gets cleared up. How does Justin Gaethje do with the crowd of 20,000 against Khabib? Oh, I think it would be a hundred. I think it'd be a, it could be a crowd of a hundred fifty thousand or zero. He could that. do, and the the game plan against Khabib, I don't think would change. <laughs> uh, go yeah. after him early, try and stuff the takedown, and just flip a coin from there. You're <laughs> you're you're putting your life in in out of your hands when you're fighting Khabib. Although uh, unfortunately for Khabib, uh, the news about uh, his father uh, dealing with with COVID with COVID is uh, is certainly very very sobering. How do you you so you think no matter what that's a Khabib victory all day? Anybody can be had. Uh, I think that there's if there's one thing that we've learned from watching MMA is that nobody is impervious. Uh, anybody can be clipped. Anybody can be beaten. Uh, Justin Gaethje can do it. I he can do it. I think if he were to go after him early, we've seen Khabib get hit before. True. You know, we've seen him get waddled, but it can't go past the first. <laughs> if mm. it goes past one, I mean, that's it's the end. If Khabib, yeah, uh, Brian, your take, your take. Yeah, I just I'm just not picking against Khabib. I don't care who it is. Like I'm, I'm he's one of these guys where it's like I have to see it first i have to see him lose first if i'm gonna pick against him at some point like there's just floyd mayweather's the same way for me in boxing like i'm just not gonna pick against certain dudes until i actually see them lose john jones actually is like this for me as well where and well now we've kind of seen like maybe kind of like <laughs> we've the, seen him lose you know, Texas yeah. in my eyes <laughs> yeah yeah you know so john jones was like that and then his last fight, I was like, oh, okay. The, you know, he got the decision, but did he really win? Kind of like Claudia Gadelia and Angela Hill. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think Khabib, I'm just, he's just somebody I'm not going to bet against. Like, after I saw what he did to Conor McGregor, I think he would do that to pretty much anybody, and I have to be proven otherwise. Would Khabib forget about the Gaethje fight for whatever reason, would Connor slide in there if Connor gets a win over the summer? I don't think now Connor and Khabib would ever fight, but if Khabib uh, saw Connor as an opponent, it would be only because Connor's got more momentum behind him because now he chained together two victories and he, he now does a WWE like promo. Or does Khabib go the GSP route and do a November MSG fight, which I would love, man. Do that 165 I hope we could have people for it. I hope we could have people for it. We will. We will. We will. But for me, it's like, I don't think Connor just, I don't think he deserves another Khabib fight. Like, can he win first? Thank you. Like, can he just win? He hasn't fought since that fight, right? Okay, so then you're kind of answering the question. What if he does knock out Masvidal? He beat, and he's he got to he fight for the 170 pound title if he does. That I yeah, think but that James, would, you're being I don't think he, I don't think logical. He, you're too logical, James. I don't think I don't. <laughs> I, I don't think he beats Masvidal though. I don't. Well, that's actually, actually, say he actually does. Take, yeah, we'll, we'll say he does. But like, yeah, if he beats Masvidal, then like, yeah, you, I can open the door to a rematch between Khabib because obviously I would still you know, it's want like, Khabib to lock him out. I would still want Khabib to lock him out because Connor, okay. what he said, crossed the line like a three, four times over about the father, mm, the religion, yeah. the country. Well, what's in it for Khabib? Also, it's like if you beat him once, what's really in it for him? You know what I mean? Like I, I at that point, that's, other than that, money, I'm other than judge money. his character. James is totally right. He's doing the money gesture. If yeah. Khabib takes the Connor fight, it's not for legacy. You beat does him. He, does does Khabib care about money in that way? He says he doesn't. That's that what I'm kind saying. of money? I mean, you're talking about doesn't. a rematch of the biggest pay-per-view fight in UFC history by far. He's set for life, no doubt. But it's like, you know, is he going to keep to his word? 
Is he going to yeah, say, I don't, oh. Not, I don't know. Not everyone values money the same way as we're, seeing, as we're seeing now with from, what's going on in America. From a legacy standpoint, Connor could try and claim the only three-division champion in UFC history. I think it would be smart for him career-wise to avoid Khabib at 155. Mm. He just, it, it, at some point, you know, you could work all you want, you could talk all you want, but at some point you just don't have the skill set to beat this guy. And that's what it comes down to. Mentally, oh, wait, I would give when, the edge to Connor too. Yeah, and when, the rematch. I think it's just, it's kind of like with Deontay Wilder, you know, it's like when you're a puncher and you just have the big, the hardest hands in the division or arguably at least in Conor McGregor's case, you just believe that you can knock anybody out because you, pretty much can if you, you actually can. connect but i mean that's where i think that's where the belief comes from the thing is the beef is different we saw it <laughs> we saw it the last fight you know what i mean so i don't blame oh, connor dude, for what's believing. the sell what you know he's gonna sell us all he's a salesman he's gonna be like i was drinking wasn't training the same thing he could sell a fight he could sell a fight between him and a two liter water bottle could, you know what i mean he could, uh, buy he could do he could do what those Koda are valuable Ibushi, he could do what Kota ibushi did and and fight a blow-up doll for any of uh, for any Omega. Hardcore, for any hardcore wrestling fans out there, Kota Ibushi, uh, actually uh, from New Japan for wrestling, he actually did that <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. But I don't think he, the other aspect of this is that it really doesn't make a lot of financial uh, sense for the UFC to mm. bring Connor in without fans because oh, yeah, the, the way their deal is with ESPN is they get the guarantee from ESPN. They're getting the same amount of money from ESPN for UFC 249, which did over 700,000 buys that they are for 250. The Nunes fight, which is God knows what that, how, what that's going to do. One of the weakest cards Should that be UFC, UFC is ever putting on pay-per-view. Connor brings in, at least 10, 11, 12, maybe more than that million dollars in the gate or more. If you're holding in Vegas, you got all the sponsorship money, all the, the casino money. You know, he brings so much more than just the buy rate for the UFC that it just doesn't make a lot of sense for them financially to have him fight without fans in attendance. So I think we're all in agreement that the UFC will just keep that pocket aces, the Connor, the Khabib fight, whoever they fight. Khabib maybe, because oh, they can. better I show think... him that respect. They better, they better. I mean, they, didn't they build an arena in Abu Dhabi for him? It's like I know the, <laughs> the the Saudis showed Khabib the respect, but I hope the UFC does because he is a worldwide attraction. It's like, but. Are we all in agreement with the refing? We've seen Keith Peterson, the drunken cigarette-smelling Keith Peterson with the Dominic Cruz fight. <laughs> we Jason Herzog with Anthony Smith. And uh, I think, what was it, Dan Rogliata with the Alistair Overeem fight, which I have absolutely no problem with. I think he let it go on, but I think it adds to the story. We had back-to-back-to-back fights, not in the nights, but in, over the week. What are you guys' overall thoughts? we got about five minutes. What are your thoughts about the, the refing? Like that we've think, seen. Yeah, I think the 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 officiating has been. I, I don't I don't have a a big issue with it in terms of the stoppages. Like Tony Ferguson stoppage was fine. The the Wall Harris losing to Alistair Overeem was fine. Cruz. The Dominic Cruz one. I so it looked too soon at first, and then when I saw it back, I was like, you know what? I'm just you know I, maybe it's because Henry Cejudo retired right after. And because Dominic Cruz, we hadn't seen him in three and a half years anyway. I was kind of like, you know what, whatever. Like, at this point, it's like, it's like, it's, at least it's not the judging. Some of the judging, I don't know, man. God. The Claudia Gadelia and Angela Hill one was a, was a bad one, man. That was a really bad one. And I'm not the punch stat guy because I think that when it comes to punch stats, you're talking about humans actually keeping track of this. It's not some, you know, computerized 3000 system that people are tracking these punch stats on, which leads me to believe that not all of these are going to be 100% accurate. Those are hard to keep track of. However, she clearly landed more punches. She clearly landed more kicks. She clearly just fought a better fight if you just watch it, especially in uh, what is what was it, rounds two and three. And then you look at the faces after, and I did that one, 
I feel I feel for Angela because it's like you're trying to climb up this ladder. That would have been a big win over a former contender. Uh, you've been fighting a lot to obviously try to rise up these rankings, and then that happens. Well, it's not just a punch that she knocked her down in the second round. Yes, no, I know. she got the knockdown in, in the third round. I mean, that was the most lopsided round in terms of the punch stats. Angela Hill, the, the most active fighter in the entire UFC, doing so because she knows that being active means she'll get those opportunities. And yeah, that was a she wants to fight decision. again next week. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was a horrendous decision. And in the in the same line of the punch of punch that's not meaning anything, look at Edson Barboza. In hmm. the end of that second round against uh, Dan Eddie, he hurts him to the body. He hurts him to the body. I thought Barboza should have been more aggressive. I thought that he left something on the table there in not really charging and taking advantage of him being hurt. But at the same time, it's he still ended the round on top, landing hammer fists, and I just don't get it. I don't get it. The other two, there were four decisions that could have gone the other way on yeah. Saturday night. Uh, Song Yadong and Malvera, that really could have gone either way. Yeah. Uh, Darren Elkins and Nate Landwehr also, I think, could have gone either way, even though I thought that uh, Elkins did take that fight. It was a mess. And the refereeing, I mean, Keith Peterson, no nonsense. No nonsense. <laughs> Previously, you know, the artist, the artist formerly known as the no nonsense, Keith Peterson. This is, it was almost a splitting image of the TJ Dillashaw fight. Let's be mm. honest. Yeah, yeah. that's why I look at the common denominator. Is Henry Cejudo, I mean, he does that cross hip hold and the gift wrap that started with Dominic Cruz and then the, the hammer fist. It's like, in slow motion, I think it was about 12 unanswered strikes. I know, uh, as Dominic Cruz said, he was making his way north. He made one knee up, but it's like, dude, you were severely losing that fight. It's yeah. like he was not winning that fight. He was not winning at all. You, you'd rather it be too soon and too late. I exactly. always say that. So exactly. when it comes to stoppages. That brings you to Jason Herzog. I mean, you know, he, he obviously apologized at the end of that. Yeah. After that Anthony the Smith tweet. fight, he said that, the you know, the onus is on him, but the thing is, in in MMA, we're so used to just anything can happen. It's hard yeah. to. It's not like in boxing. In boxing, you know, when a guy is getting pounded for eight rounds straight, he's not coming back. In MMA, it's it's different. But in the corner of Anthony Smith uh, did a horrendous job, not just with their instructions during the fight, but with their taking care of him. All right, boys, we're under a minute real quick. What do you want next for Francis Ngannou? Wait out for the title or push for a fight against Jones or Cormier? Real quick, real quick. He's the next heavyweight champion. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Brian, uh, Calvin Cater. Brian, who, who do you want next? Josh oh. Emmett, Ryan Hall, Yair, a top five guy. Calvin Cater is uh, the, the – Probably darkest. Yair. Probably Yair. Stylistically, oh, that, that, st stylistically, that one <laughs> intrigues me a lot. Give me that one tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%. That could be a main event on the ESPN Plus card. Guys, thank you so much for the time. We got to do this next week or in the very, very near future. Again, James Corrigan, sure. Jimmy Corrigan, at Real Corrigan on Twitter, Brian Fonseca, at Brian Fonseca and Y on Twitter. Guys, thank you so much for the time. This was a flowing, easy conversation, but I don't have the premium Zoom package, so we got to cut it off. Thank oh, you, Oh, shell out, so Ike. <laughs> Brian's the man, James the man, you know who else is the man. I, I really enjoyed the time with them. They're really cool guys. Whenever I get to sit down and chat with them, whether it's on a media lunch, a media bus, a media scrum, they're always in great spirits. And they do many things outside of the fight game, MMA and boxing. But you should definitely follow them on Twitter, at Real Corrigan for Jimmy James Corrigan and at Brian Fonseca NY Rye Bry is his new nickname for me now but uh hope you guys enjoyed this episode I'm gonna just keep the Itagon train going and uh keep tuning in so that's it go enjoy your family later
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.